Everybody enjoy last Sunday morning? It was a good Sunday. I was thankful for that blessing that we had that was kind of unexpected. And, uh, you know, you can't, just a little bit of thoughts on that. Uh, you can't and should not kind of manufacture that. Does that make sense? Uh, but when the Lord's in it, it's always good and always right. Um, and so I, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. Um, I want to try my hardest to get out of my own way and uh, to do whatever he, he leads for us to do um, each morning. And, um, but that doesn't mean that I'm the only one who gets led, right? So if at certain points in time then you are, feel compelled to the Lord to say things, to share things, to sing, to do whatever, then we need to let that occur and let God have control over the service because it's not just it's not my service, it's His. And it's not just me who leads that sometimes, it's you as well. So um, if and when that occurs and those things happen, then by all means those are good and positive things. We're happy to have those um, happen. So I'm thankful for everything that went on last week. I'll also just quickly add, um, just because I think this is important to say publicly, because I think it is very important. Um, well, let me start by saying last week I had thought I was going to preach on doctrine. That didn't quite work out, so we'll try that this week. Um, But with that in mind, um, I do want to briefly mention, and I've been able to say this to quite a few um, other former pastors. Um, I came into this church almost coming on five years ago, this March that we came for the first time, completely unintentional to to pastor. Um, But what I found is I was eventually led to to pastor here and elected as your um, as your pastor uh, was a church that loved the Lord. A church that loved the Lord and a church that had been for many, many years taught correctly. And so I have said very much my public thanks uh, to two of the previous pastors for their effort in that. You made it, they made it very easy for me to come in. And we have one who I hadn't met until today. And so I'm thankful, brother, uh, for what you've done for years to lead and guide the church um, there were no doctrinal errors that I had to come in and, and, and try and, and change. There were no real bad habits or anything like that. And that's a testament to not only the members, but also the previous pastors. So I'm, I'm grateful uh, having this be my, my first pastorate to come into what I can only assume is just a really easy church in many ways. So thank you to, to the members who have stood strong and the deacons who have made sure that the, the truth is being preached. But I'm certainly thankful to the, the former pastors who stood here and done the right thing at the right time, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. It's, it's vitally important. Vitally important. You have um, the wrong man stand up here, and it can cause a lot of problems. So thank you, brother, for your service. So as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we'll be in Acts chapter 2 for um, probably another couple of weeks, maybe. Um, and we were set in remembrance of the first of the year... There's a lot of things going on in this world we don't like very much, a lot of problems that we have. And I do think that we'll continue to see some of these struggles bear out. I've told you time and time again, I'm not a skies falling kind of person. I'm not an alarmist. But I do have some great concern over what's going on, specifically just within our own culture, let alone outside the U.S. and around the world. And I've also said in times past that we have very, very, very little influence over this. We can go and we can vote, but that doesn't make a huge difference usually. 
What we really need to do is be concerned with those whom which we have contact with. We need to be concerned with ourselves and those who we can influence. And to do that as a church, which is part of what the church is to do, the church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth in our culture today. To do that, we need to make sure we're doing that well and correctly. And as I've said, I believe this church does many of these things very well. And so this is to put us in remembrance, as the scripture says, of what we are to do so that we can do it even better. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see a summary of the very first, very early church and what they were doing. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. We've spent about now two Sundays and a Sunday night talking about fellowship. And that evolved in a way I wasn't expecting, and has been beautiful, as I mentioned. But I want to talk today about doctrine. And the reality is I can't you know, list all of it. We can't thoroughly go through all of it. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it is and why it's important, and then just kind of go over a few high points here. Doctrine is a uh, set of ideas or beliefs that are, that are taught and believed. It's something that's core to who we are. And so when we talk about biblical doctrine, we're talking about teachings that either come from Scripture directly or align with the concepts that Scripture teaches us. And having this correct, as in believing the correct thing, is really important because what you believe impacts how you act. So young and old, let me say that again, listen to me. How you think and what you believe is the driving force behind how you act. Now, we don't think about this in our lives very often, and we uh, very passively consume a lot of things and think about a lot of things that have a very negative impact on how we act later on. And you can think all you want to that it doesn't impact you, but the reality is it does. Now, I, as you know, doing a lot of academic-y type things, have experienced some things in my life. Sometimes when I'm teaching, for example, quite a few law courses, and I began reading all types of law books, and my writing gradually became reflective of what? Of, of legal writing, which is very different for those of you who haven't read it. If you read a lot of fiction, then your, your writing style and thoughts and patterns become more uh, tilted that direction as well. And so if you watch a certain thing on television a lot, or you play a certain number of games, or you interact with a certain number of people in a certain way, you tend to begin to behave the way that you're thinking. And so training your mind to do and think about the right thing, and then putting things into that mind that are appropriate is highly, highly important. Because what we think tends to be how we act. Now, so far, I've just generally talked about this, but let me give you just a quick example. If we were to take a trip to a very high uh, building or a high peak somewhere, and I was to tell you that I believe I can fly, then promptly to jump to prove that to you, it wouldn't work out very well for me, would it? And so we can kind of chuckle at that and say, well, that's kind of humorous. But the reality is this, if my doctrine, if my internal belief is strong enough that I can fly and then I go and act on that belief, it can have some very serious consequences. And likewise, when we talk about doctrine, biblical doctrine in the church, if we don't get that right, 
You with me? And have an improper belief or an incomplete belief and then begin to act on it. It can have very serious issues and can have eternal significant issues. And so doctrine is absolutely vital to what we're doing. And we should be about trying to make sure that we have correct doctrine. We see this now in our society with morals. It seemed to be that in some period of time past, we would have debates about, well, this is, uh, not that this is true or wrong, but this is how it should be applied. Should we do this? Should we not do this? What we see now in a lot of society is whether or not there is anything called truth, whether or not there is anything called morals. And these two things are not compatible with each other. These ideas don't work. So we must be sure that we have the correct doctrine, the correct beliefs, because it impacts everything that we do and how we function in day-to-day life. So 1 Timothy 1.9 says, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, For those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And so the scripture tells us this is how important that having correct doctrine is. They put it in the same sentence as what? Murdering people and lying and cheating. And so having correct doctrine, having correct biblical doctrine, is not just this little thing that I'm going to try and figure out. It's not something that we're going to rely just on your pastor to know. It's something that you have to know if you don't want to be listed in that sentence. And none of us want to be listed in that sentence. We can think about, and today our culture talks a lot about slavery and the past issues that we have had with that. But again, not knowing correct doctrine is the same Equivalent in the same sentence as a problem as what? Enslaving someone. So this should drive us to know our doctrine. This should encourage us to make sure that we are searching out the scriptures to know what is true. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20 that we have the whole counsel of God. We have the scripture, we have the Bible to know and to search out what is true and what is doctrine. Now, does that mean it's easy? No. Sometimes it's very challenging. Sometimes it's very hard. And there's certainly times that we're going to disagree. And there will probably be times that we are incorrect. But we have the whole counsel of God. We are without excuse. And we are told to study to show ourselves approved unto God. And so we have the scripture revealed to us. We all have many, many copies of it. We are all perfectly capable of reading and studying this word to try and find out what is the truth, what is the doctrine And we do this so that we're not tossed around by every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.14 says, um, We are no longer to be children tossed here and there or tossed around, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. So brothers and sisters, it is vital and important that you know when you're being taught, when someone teaches a doctrine that's incorrect. And if you don't know doctrine, then you don't know. And it's easy to have someone come in and to teach you something that's wrong or contrary to doctrine if you don't know yourself what you believe. And it's our job and our duty, and God has given us the tools to do this, that we must study to show that we're approved, study to know the doctrine, and study to know the truth and stand behind that truth. 
Now you might say to me, well, I can never know it like you do. Some of you know it better than I do. But here's the thing. It doesn't say that you have to be perfect in it, but you have to strive after it. Now, we should strive to be perfect. We should strive to have mastery of it. We should learn these things. But listen, you'll spend your whole life trying to establish doctrine, and you'll never come to the end of it, and you'll never come to perfection because we are fallen and corrupt people. We have problems in this area, but it doesn't give us an excuse not to try. Going back to 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them to hear. And boy, do we have problems with that today, don't we? Well, I don't like what so-and-so says, and I don't believe it, so I'm going to go find somebody who does what? Who says it the way I believe it. That's not a great way to go through life. It really isn't. Now, when you're young... And I mean young in faith, you must be very careful because you are going to rely on others who are wiser than you to help you learn who you should listen to. Does that make sense? Because you haven't established your doctrine yet. That's why you have to build it up so that you can know. Many of you have made comments in the past that I have stepped on your toes or, or said something like that or had a hard sermon I think most of you have come to realize, if you, if you haven't, or trust me in this, I don't do this on purpose. I don't think through, well, that's a situation I can talk about and talk to someone individually. My hope and desire is that if you're impacted by something, it's the Spirit of the Lord who does that and not me. But the reality is this. If you only go and listen to people who tell you what you want to hear and never challenge who you are, that's not very helpful. It can be entertaining, but it's not helpful. We need to know doctrine. But it's also important to understand that not everything is doctrine. Let's talk about a few examples. Some of them might make you laugh a little bit. That's okay. Church music. How we do it. Now, again, there's guiding principles about this, but there's no specific thing that says that we have to have a piano. There's also nothing that says we don't. There's nothing that says that we have to meet at 9 or 10 on a Sunday morning or 11 or that says that we should or shouldn't have Sunday school or vacation Bible school or Sunday evening. You know, a lot of, a lot of services started on, on the evenings because churches started getting electricity. They are the only ones in the community that had electricity sometimes because they could get together and afford it. And it was something of a novelty and so they could have a light on and people would go, hey, let's go see what the light's about. There's nothing else to do when it's dark. Let's go to church. It was a great way to bring some people in. But there's not doctrine to say that we have to have a Sunday evening service. Although I think it's a really good idea. And if you don't come, you should. <laughs> there's no uh, biblical doctrine that says we have to have business meetings. <laughs> Although we need them to function in the church. So doctrine, as I said, is a set of ideas and beliefs that guide the truth behind who we are. Some doctrines are explicitly taught in the scriptures, and to violate them is completely and utterly wrong. And I'll talk about a few of those in a minute. Okay? Some doctrines, for example, that Christ was without sin. 
It's a fundamental, has to be true, clearly taught in the scripture doctrine. And to teach anything else is an absolute abomination and an affront to God and is false. And we cannot and should not and will not ever stand for that to be taught in error. You with me? There are many other doctrines in the scriptures that are the same way, that are expressly taught in the scriptures, that there isn't any uh, room for disagreement, and that we say these are our doctrinal, foundational, principled truths. We stand by these as clearly and explicitly taught in the scripture, and everything else has to come underneath those things. There are things that are um, extra-biblical or outside-biblical that we tend to follow or can follow. This doesn't mean that it's wrong. We get a little confused by this sometimes. We can have church traditions and we can do things within the church that aren't clearly expressed in the scriptures. That doesn't mean that we're violating the doctrine of the Bible. So we have certain holidays, for example, that we celebrate and that we practice that aren't necessarily mentioned in the scripture. But they align with the doctrines that are in the Scripture, and in many cases they celebrate the doctrines we find in the Scripture, so that is okay. Are you with me? So there's things that are outside the Bible that we can do that aren't necessarily wrong. There's other things that are doctrines that we think are biblically based. So we don't see a lot of specific uh, Scriptures that talk about uh, smoking or drug usage or addictions of a variety of nature, but what we see is the general concept that the body is a temple and should be taken care of. We also see as a general concept that we shouldn't be given to anything that is addicted to anything. So even though the Bible doesn't mention pornography, we shouldn't be addicted to it. Even though the Bible doesn't necessarily mention smoking, we shouldn't be addicted to it. And we can go on and on and on, right? And these are some areas where there's some difficulty and sometimes there's some disagreement. But these general principles that we get from the Bible can and should be applied to current issues and challenges that we face. This is how the Bible is timeless, because we take the doctrines and the principles that are taught and apply them to what we're dealing with now. This is why it's all relative to today. But with all this, we must be careful as Christ warned us not to teach as doctrines the commands of men. So this is what the Pharisees did. They took the doctrines and they started adding to them and making up a whole bunch of laws. And over time, they were putting the emphasis on the things that they made up and reducing the things that God had said were doctrines. This is why, if you've been listening for the first two weeks for the Daily Audio Bible, congratulations if you have. If not, you can catch up. The reader was making such a good point in the commentary after the readings, and he was talking about how the Pharisees, their real issue was they were calling the things that they knew were God the exact opposite. So Christ would come and do amazing miracles, and they knew that it had to be of God because there was no other way to account for this miracle, and instead they would say, Satan's doing this work. See, they were calling what was being done the exact opposite of what it is. And if we don't understand what is doctrine and what is not doctrine, over time we tend to emphasize the man-made rules and doctrines. And believe it or not, well, I don't have to say this, many of you know this, there have been churches that have split and had all kinds of fight over the color of the carpet and what kind of hymnals we use. And on and on and on. See, these are not doctrinal issues. They can be important. Don't get me wrong. Well, maybe not the color of the carpet. 
These things can be important, but we have to understand what doctrine is. So how's, how do we distinguish falsehood from the truth? The reality is, we can go back and look, and I just read you this amazing verse, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking the bread and of prayers. But all we have to do is turn a few chapters in Acts, and all of a sudden we have problems in the church. So don't ever look back on the early church and somehow think it was perfect. In fact, if you understand what many of the epistles were, the letters to the Corinthians, uh, Peter's letters, and etc., they were correcting improper doctrine already sneaking its way into the church. Some of which were saying Christ didn't actually physically have a body. And so on and so forth. And so when you begin to look, you realize there's always been challenges. And so it's always appropriate. False doctrine can come into the church, and we must do everything we can to fight against that. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrines conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. This is why we have challenges. This is why we have many quote-unquote denominations. The reality is, not every denomination teaches the truth. It's very simple. And so we are inclined to say, well, why can't we all just get along? Don't we all believe the Bible's true? No. Let's be honest. Don't we just all, well, even if we all agree that the Bible's true... Surely we just all are getting along, right? No, in fact, absolutely not. Because you know what? Some religions, some faiths teach there are other ways to be saved other than what the Bible clearly says. Some religions and some faith put uh, certain things on people that should be left unto God alone. And so we must stand firm. We must know our doctrine and say, no, no, there is a difference among some denominations and some faiths and some beliefs. Does this mean that there aren't saved people everywhere? No, I think there's honestly saved individuals everywhere. I truly 100% with all of my heart believe that. But we must be about thinking and acting in the best doctrinal way we know how. So no, we can't just all get along even as nice as it would be. We must remember, as we are told in Peter, that prophecy of Scripture is, a ma- is not a matter of one's private interpretation. In other words, we can't just all individually believe something. There is a right thing to believe. There is doctrine. There is truth. And we, again, are reminded to rightly divide that word of truth. So I told you how important this is. Let me just list a few things fairly quickly here of some doctrines that are important. Let me start with the most negative one first. You ready? Hell is a real place, and it is a place that those who do not know the Lord and the free pardon of sin will be punished eternally. And even among many of Baptist churches, I would dare say today, that may not be a statement that the person who stands behind the pulpit is willing to actually say, but it is biblically the truth and it is doctrine, and I cannot avoid it even if I don't like it. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who destroyed both the soul and the body in hell. 
Jesus Christ himself told people to be fearful of hell because it is real, it is an actual thing, and those who do not know God will be sent there and punished rightfully and justfully and tormented forever. That is doctrine. That is biblical. And that, brothers and sisters, is important. Because when we begin to realize just how real that possibility is, it moves within us a great desire to make sure that our friends and our family and those who we come in contact with know the truth that you are flirting with an eternal disaster. And the flip side of that, heaven's real too. And this is where I talk about sometimes we collect people who have itching ears to tell us what we want to hear. And all we do is say over and over again how great and how wonderful heaven is. And you know what? It is. It's going to be. It is now. And those of us who know the Lord will be with him forever receiving the reward that we don't deserve and didn't earn in heaven because it is real because of Jesus Christ. But if that's only what you hear, you're not hearing the full doctrine. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. There's a whole lot we could say about him that's very important. I spent an entire sermon explaining the virgin birth right before Christmas and talking about how vitally important that is. That's not just a nice little detail added to a somewhat made-up story. That is, in fact, doctrine taught in the Scripture repeatedly, and it is vitally important to who Jesus is because if Jesus did not come through a virgin birth, he would not be fully God and fully man. And fully God and fully man is what is required for us to have salvation by his death. So we must teach these things and understand these things. It's also important for us to understand that Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier, was sinless. Believe it or not. It's hard to imagine. It really is. How could you go 30 some odd years on this earth and never sin? And I will mind you, I don't think that just means he didn't sin publicly, but I think it means that he actually had his mind together in such a way that he didn't think of a woman incorrectly. That he didn't stub his toe and think about saying the wrong thing. That with all the frustration that he had with his disciples, and let's be honest, there was a lot, that he didn't get angry in a way that was sinful. And so to teach anything else, to teach that God sent his son, but that he, had, he was just like us. He wasn't just like us, was he? We must stand firm on that. We must also stand firm on the fact that he actually died. He physically, actually died. And I have heard people who have tried to, to contrive this somehow to say, well, you know, he, he kind of fell asleep for a while and they thought he was dead and then, then he came back. He kind of woke up. No, that is not what the scriptures teach. The doctrine is that he died, he was buried, and on the third day he was what? He was resurrected, he came back to life, he did what he had to do on earth, and then he was taken back up to heaven, and he is seated today at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Those are the doctrines, that is what the scripture teaches, and it will not change no matter what I think about it. Christ had a physical resurrection. He was physically a person. He died in a physical way, and he was raised to life. 
Now, I could go on and talk about other doctrinal and foundational issues of Christ, but do you see why these are so important? And this is why you individually have to study these things. You cannot and will not be successful if you just come. Well, I'm glad you're here. But if you just come for a 30 or I know it's getting long, 45 minute sermon today, it's not enough for you to fight against false doctrine. You have to study it yourself. You have to know the truth. We talk about salvation for a minute. Salvation is the idea that we are going to be saved from something. Well, I already talked about what the ultimate thing we're saved from, and that is hell. But sometimes we fail to think about what we are saved to. While we are still on this earth, because there's a great question, if we're forgiven and saved from hell, well, why wouldn't God just immediately just take us up to be with him? We are left here to do something and to commune with him. We can talk to God. We can hear and understand what he wants us to do. And we can share his word with other people. We are left here with a task for a reason, for a purpose. But there is no way other than our faith in him. For it's by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So brothers and sisters, hear me very clearly. You cannot and will not be good enough to get into heaven. Nothing you can do can earn your way into heaven. Grace and faith, the grace of God and your faith, your belief in Him is the only way to experience the relief of I'm going to hell and I'm separated from Him now to being connected and reunited with Him now and going to heaven in the future. There is no other way and there is no combination. There is nothing to add to this. Church membership doesn't save you. There'll be a lot of people who are going to figure that out someday. And they will be eternally disappointed. Church membership doesn't save you. The scripture is divinely inspired by God. It's the full counsel of God. We read this already. It was written down by a number of men. The Bible teaches us that the Spirit moved among these men and they were carried along, it's a beautiful way to describe this, and told what to write down. And these were collected and preserved over time that we can have the complete scriptures today. They are complete. There is not a missing or a magic book somewhere. There is not anything else that we need to have other than what the scripture has revealed to us and what nature by its very self, the scripture says, tells us about God. This is the full account that we have and we know that it is true and we must study it like it is true. We know a variety of things about God. You can go back and listen to 10 sermons. I don't know how many I did on the characters, characteristics of God and who he was and who he is. But listen to me, there is one true God in three parts, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a word we use, Trinity. A little pop quiz for you, Trinity is not in the Scripture. But the concept surely is. So don't ever let anybody mess you up with that. Well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. You're exactly right. It's a word we use to describe what? A biblical doctrinal concept that we believe. 
of who God is. But the priesthood of the believer. That means that once we are saved, once we have been forgiven, once uh, God has covered us with the sacrifice of His virgin birth, sinless Son, who actually died, who physically was resurrected, when by His grace and our faith we receive forgiveness, we become a priest and are therefore saved and will receive heaven as our reward. And you know what? No one can take that away from you. No man is strong enough to remove you from the forgiveness that God has given you. You know who else isn't strong enough to remove your salvation? You're not. Think about it this way. God knows everything, right? He knows past, he knows present, he knows future. That means that when I was 18 years old in Pennsylvania at a high school Bible camp, when God finally saved me, when I finally realized my state before him and I fell to my knees and I begged for forgiveness, and when I got up a new person because by his grace and through my faith he has saved me, that God knew he was forgiving me from everything I had done, right? But you know what else he knew? Everything I'd do in the future. And he chose to save me anyway. Is this license to sin? The Bible says, God forbid that we should go on sinning, but understand, God knew what you would do in the future, and He saved you anyway. And the Scriptures say that you are safe in His hand and no one can take you out of it. And rather than think that this gives us a license to live however we want to, if we truly stop and think about it, it makes us incredibly humble, doesn't it? God loved me that much that he would send his son and forgive me. We could go on and on and on, and I'm already a little longer today than I intended to be, but I think you get the idea. There are many, many doctrines that are vitally important, and you should know them. Young and old alike, we should study them. We should find good godly men who have written books, good godly men who preach good sermons, and we should listen to what they say. We should spend time on our own reading the scriptures, no matter how many times you've done it. Do it again and again and again. You should wrestle with the hard questions and be honest with God. I don't understand this. Help me to understand this. How can one of my friends say this or this church believes this? Where is the truth? Seek God and he will give you guidance. But we must pursue doctrine. And we must spend our lives trying to learn the truth. The point that I'm trying to make here is the early church says we're continuously and faithfully, we're continuously and steadfastly. The idea that they were going after these things all the time. They were doing these things all the time. Fellowshipping wasn't just on Sunday mornings, nor was doctrine just on Sunday mornings. Fellowshipping was something that was done continuously and purposefully. And doctrine and knowing doctrine is something that should be done continuously and purposefully. We should do the same. So here's a great question for you Do you know what you believe? Do you? Can you write down some of the most important things of the faith? Can you explain why you believe those things? Ooh, that gets a little harder, doesn't it? But we should be able to. I've said this time and time again. I've heard it so often, I actually checked with somebody. 
uh, who would know? And she said I was correct. So we're probably familiar with the Secret Service. And one of the functions is that they worry about counterfeiting, which is kind of laughable given Congress, but I digress. The point is you're not allowed to print fake money. Now, they could endlessly teach their investigators all the different ways you can fake money. I mean, it could go on forever. But the reality is there's only one way to make real money. And so what they do is they train people to identify the real so they know the fake. You with me? Because when you know what a real bill looks like and you hold a fake one, you'll know instantly. When you're highly trained to know how the watermark is and where this little ribbon is and how many uh, little numbers there are in this box and all these different things, there's all kinds of different ways built into our money to make it more difficult to counterfeit. When you know the real and you touch it and you look at it and you examine it, you will know very, very quickly what is false. Our faith should be the same way. Brothers and sisters, young and old alike, you must know what we believe so that when you hear or see or experience something that's false, you immediately go, "Mm -mm." now you may not be able to say, well, John chapter 4, verse 36 says, that's okay. But you must immediately know the difference between the false and the real. If we want to succeed in life, and as the time grows closer, as people just gather people around to tell them what they want to hear, as people move around, carried away with one form of doctrine to the next, we must be cognizant and sure that we believe the right thing. We must hold fast to the confession of our faith as the day draws near. We must know about the deity of Christ. We must know that there is only one way. We must be able to answer the hard questions. What about abortion? What about homosexuality? What about the sexes? What about the activities that we're supposed to do? What is the Lord's Supper? Why is it important? What about baptism? What about the requirements of a pastor and a deacon? See, there is much for us to learn, and we must know it and know it well if we're going to serve him properly. Correct doctrine impacts what we do and what we think. We must have it correctly. Now I want to give an invitation here at the end, but I want to just quickly remind you of how I began. Maybe I should have done this in a different order. Hell and heaven are real. You can deny it all day long. You can think it's false. But the Bible teaches that these things are a reality. And the Bible also teaches that the moment you are absent from the body, those of us who are saved are present with the Lord. And those who are not are sent to punishment. This is the reality. This is the truth. This is the doctrine that the church has stood on from the very beginning all the way down until now. And it is a reality that all of us face. And so the question today is, if you know it's true, and I would say many of us know it's true based on the scripture and based on the witness that the Holy Spirit reveals to us, we somehow know this is true. 
We somehow know life is finite. We somehow know that there's more to it than just this. We somehow are dissatisfied with what's going on and on and on and on. If God is dealing with you and you need to put your faith in his grace, then you need to act on that. You need to go to him if he's calling you and you need to ask for forgiveness and seek him so that he will do by his amazing, wonderful abilities. He will save you from something you deserve to be punished for. And there's only one way for you to avoid hell. And there's only one way for you to receive the reward that is heaven. And there is only one way for you to go from that moment in time when you're saved until you are gone to be in a relationship with him. Because until you do that, while you're still on earth, on earth, the Bible says we are the enemy of God. The enemy of God. And as long as you stand condemned, which all of us are, without being saved, you are in fact God's enemy. These are doctrines. These are truths. These are not my truths. These are not my doctrines. They are doctrines and truths of the Scripture, from the Scripture. And all I'm doing is trying to tell you about them. All I'm doing is trying to warn you of the reality of the truth that is found within the Scripture and that is known through nature itself, as the Scripture says. So as we have an opportunity to consider these truths, to consider these doctrines, I pray that you would consider for yourself. Have you been saved? Do you know the Lord? Are you in a relationship with him or are you an enemy? Do you know that you will go to heaven when you pass away? Or do you know, and God will reveal it to you, that you will be punished? I ask us to consider these things. I ask us, for those of us who know the answer well, to pray for those who don't. And for those of us who know the answer well, to pray for God to use us to be more about his kingdom, which means knowing his doctrines and knowing his truths.